You're listening to the Pimp Cron Podcast. Welcome to episode 99 of the Pimp Cron Warhammer Podcast. I cannot believe I have almost created a hundred of these episodes, but... I enjoy the conversations we have with each other. I'm so happy that many of you support us on Patreon. And uh, if you would not mind doing that, even a dollar a month ends up 25 cents an episode for this. So um, if you could join with Patreon, I greatly appreciate it. What are we talking about tonight? The real talk with the Pimpcron is if GW's new paint requirement is a good idea and is it healthy for the hobby. We will get into that. We also have a want that or want that not with the old metal Defcopter that is is shockingly still on the Games Workshop website. And we also have a letter from uh, Reg, and he wants to know which army he should sell. So we discussed that as well. The week for me this past week has been uh, extremely busy. Um, I hate all of my employees. I just want to put that out there. And <laughs> and my faith in humanity is draining by the day. I just want you to know that. But that's enough of my complaining. You didn't come here to hear me complain. So, uh, I played a game. I had a fun Age of Sigmar game with my buddy Beastman this week. And uh, he brought all of his Night Haunt. And I played an extremely different list for my Stormcast. I've never played this list. And believe it or not... Some of it was unpainted because I have I was playing new models I have never played before. I brought my Stormcast against his Night Haunt, and I played six Evocators on Dracolines. I had two Tempesters on Dracoths. I had two Castellans and uh, five Sequiturs, five Judicators, and then the Lord Aqualor on Griff Charger, and that was my whole list. And I got to tell you, I have not rolled so terrible in a long, long time, my friends. I got to tell you that because the, okay, so here's, here's, I, I hate going into stats and stuff, but I really need to paint you this picture, okay? The, the Tempesters on the Dracoths, I'm uh, Dracolines, I had already cast in power on them, so they were re-rolling wounds, okay, with all their melees, including their mount. I had also cast another power on them that gave them plus one to wound. So my dudes were going in there. Oh, in my chamber I take, when I charge, I reroll ones to hit. And when I charge, my Dracolines are D3 damage instead of one damage. So I decided that I could take out a huge chunk of his army as long as I got to charge him. Because I'd be rerolling ones because of the charge and D3 damage because of the charge. So... I was able to kind of stutter step and prevent him from charging me, but then I was able to charge him, and I lined up the best possible thing I could, and I hammered into his storm, uh, his spirit hosts. And this was kind of the the big bulk of his army right here was a big cluster of six spirit hosts. And now the evocators get I think three attacks each, threes to hit, rerolling ones. Threes to wound, which actually becomes twos re-rollable to wound. And they're two damage each. The Dracolines get three attacks. Threes to hit, re-rolling ones. 
threes to wound, but they're re-rollable, and it's a two-up instead of a three-up. So, in general, I've got six attacks that are hitting on threes, re-rolling ones, and wounding on twos, re-rolling ones. So, and my Dracolines are D3 damage, and my Great Staff or whatever is 2 damage. So, even though I knew I would have a lot of repercussions for charging this headlong into a bunch of Spirit Hosts, I knew I would go first, and I knew I could do massive, massive damage to him. So, I slam into him with, what, 6 times 6, 36 attacks, doing at least 2 damage, and then also D3 damage, and re-rolling, and oh my god, I had it, I could not have done it any better. And would you know, this a-hole, Beast Man, he was rolling hot. I gotta tell you, not only did my rolls just, like, out of my hand, but he made all but five saves out of 36 multi-damage attacks. He only took, I'm sorry, no, 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 he saved even better than that. He only took five damage. Only five damage out of that. And I was like, good God. I, my, now these guys were a huge amount of my force too. Six of Ocators is like, I'm going to say 400 or 600 points or something. It's a lot of points, okay? And we bounced off him. We ran up, we were buffed, we were charged, and right in the face we ran right into a brick wall so i was like well this is gonna suck um he does have the spirit hosts which have the um the uh what's it called the frightful touch when they hit on sixes and you know what the beast man did he rolled uh so a a roll of a six to hit is just a mortal wound you don't wound you don't save nothing it's just a mortal he rolled 12 mortal wounds just from the get-go, ignoring any other saves. Um, and he rolled 12 mortal wounds, which I will have you know, kills two evocators and wounds another one. Just right off the bat. And I just, man, I... <laughs> Believe it or not, I was able to hang in there and he ended up beating me. Uh, I'm going to forget now, but it was like... I think it was 15 to 12 or something like that when it was all said and done. I Believe it or not, despite my terrible, terrible rolling, I was able to hang in there. And um, my Lord Aqualore on the Griff Charger, I think he ends up with like seven attacks, including his mount. And I charged in, and for two separate combats, he only did one wound. One wound out of seven attacks. It was just, oh, it was just awful. (laughs) So every once in a while you run into those where I'm like, oh my gosh, like how am I rolling this terrible? It is statistically not uh, likely that I would be rolling this god awful. And man, that mofo, he was rolling so well, which of course is the worst possible scenario. Your opponent's rolling hot, especially with Night Haunt. And you are rolling cold. But what do you do? I still had fun hanging out with my bud. And uh, that is basically all I've been up to. Still painting my cast Space Marines. Uh, They're going to be a rust color, which I really like. And I've decided that their left arm and their helmet is going to be a blue, which is actually coming out really nicely. 
And uh, the lore reason behind that is, is um, I knew, remember I told you before on the podcast that um, I've always been into like the mystical stuff and whatever. I just found it fascinating. I remember thinking to myself, you know, I think there was something about left hand and right hand when people are like casting magic or something. And I ended up looking it up and sure enough, the left hand is, is uh, in esoteric uh, magic theory. The left hand is always for negative energy and negative spells, and the right hand is always used to cast positive spells. So, not that, I mean, I don't cast spells or anything. I've just always been interested in that sort of thing. And um, so, what I've decided to do is that when they get possessed, because I'm, I'm doing all possessed marines and all flesh metal stuff. When they get possessed by the demons, they have to, like, plunge their hand in this, this uh, cauldron or this well. And it's a well of spirits. It's not a well of water. And where they plunge their left hand, because they're, you know, the left hand is supposed to be evil. So the, um, they plunge their left hand in there. The, they paint their whole left arm and their helmet, uh, blue. It's a real brilliant blue compared to the orange. And that's all the color on them. And it's to signify where the spirit went into their body and then came up to their head. And uh, it's looking pretty cool. I'm paint I painted two Mauler Fiends already. They look really neat. A Venom Crawler is mostly done, and two Obliterators. And I'm I'm really liking the the light blue with the um I'm using Lothurn blue. I think I'm putting uh, Thousand Suns blue and then Lothurn blue over it. So it's uh it's looking pretty cool. It's I gotta find something else to do with the rest of the 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 body because just the the rusty orange is not quite enough i'll i'll figure it out though but um i do like just having one arm and the helmet being a stark contrast to the rest of the body and that is where their possession entered their body i just thought it was neat and also you know they use their left arm because that's signifying look we're the bad guys we do bad things and uh so that's where color scheme and uh simplicity of painting and uh narrative all coming together and I'm, I'm loving every bit of it. That is it for me rambling and I'm done rambling people. Let's get on with the next segment. Let's open the Tesseract mailbox. On this segment of the Tesseract mailbox, we get a message from Reg at pimpcron at gmail.com. You can also contact us at facebook.com slash pimpcron. And he writes, Mr. Kron, I have a dilemma. I have to sell at least one army, maybe two. I have recently had need for some cash when a tree fell into my house. Don't worry, it just clipped the house. But with other things I need not explain, we don't have the cash for the repairs immediately, so I offered to sell some of my stuff. I have been going back and forth on which army to sell. I figured I'd ask the almighty Kron for insight. So, here's what he has. I own melee nids, mostly hormigons and gene stealers, with some others. I also own very shooty orcs with Burnaboys, Ludas, etc. My favorite army and first one I ever had is my corn chaos marines. Which do you think will hold up best in the new edition? Thanks, mate, Reg. Well, thanks for writing in, Reg. I appreciate it, and um, very sorry to hear about your house. That uh, that just sucks. That's everybody's nightmare that lives near trees. Um, they're, they can be quite unpredictable and sometimes they just assault your, your house. 
So, of course, having said that, I don't know entirely what 9th edition is going to be like, but they claim that it is going to be harsher on hordes, and they claim it's going to be better for melee. So, my suggestion, first off, is go with your heart, Reg. It sounds like you say your favorite army and your first one you ever had is Corn Chaos Marines. If you say right there that's your favorite army, I think it's pretty clear which one you should keep if you have to sell the other two. Um... Also, with the new rules and everything, corn will probably be slightly better, and they have been frequently pumping out new Chaos Marine models. They have not been pumping out new Orc models, except for, I guess, those new uh, trikes and, and cars. And Tyranids have gotten pretty much no love at all. So, the corn Chaos Base Marines seem to me like they're the clear answer for you to keep. And I feel like if you search your soul and search your heart, you will know that you're, you gotta keep your favorite army, dude. The orcs, the shooter orcs, and the nids, between those two, I feel like the nids should probably be sold if you are simply worried about the new addition and how they'll hold up. The reason being is that melee will be better, but hordes will arguably be worse, and with the new rules as far as battle shock. That sounds like hordes potentially could be much worse. So if you've got Hormagons, which you say you do, I would say that they will probably hold up the least in the next edition. Now, I am not a meta chaser. I am not the ultimate authority on this because I don't, you know, I, I don't really care about the competitive edge. If I were you, I would keep the army that you like the most and that means the most to you, which sounds like your corn cast base marines. If I personally had to sell them based simply off of which one will hold up in the new edition, I would sell those melee-oriented nids first, then I would sell the orcs, and then I would keep the corn. That's what I would do. I appreciate you asking my opinion, though. I greatly do appreciate that. Um, I just, I feel like, you know, we ask people's opinions sometimes, and we know deep down what we feel like we should do. We know deep down what we want to do, and... There's, I saw this or I read it somewhere, but you know, sometimes you're kind of caught between two decisions and you're like, oh, do I go left? Do I go right? Oh my gosh, I don't know what to do. Um, well, first off, just use Google Maps, but second off, I mean, metaphorically left to right directions, the best thing to do is to go get ready to flip a coin and you go, okay, heads is left, tails is right. And just before you flip that coin, where you're about to observe the result, you search your heart and go, which one was I hoping it would be? And that's a really neat little trick that I think I saw on a TV show or something, but darn if it doesn't work. A lot of times when, you know, you are like 49.5% in one direction and 50.5% of another direction, you and you're just like, man, it's so close, I don't know... You do that little coin flip trick, and you don't even have to flip the coin, because you you know what you were really hoping it would be, and that kind of helps clear up that half a percent where it's kind of hazy, and uh, I know that sounds goofy, but legitimately it, it does work, and um, you know. Anyway, I'm sorry to hear about your house, uh, Reg, that, that just really sucks. Uh, hopefully insurance, yeah, why would insurance help out with that? Um, I feel like that would be a homeowner's insurance sort of thing, but who knows? Um, anyway, thank you for writing in and thanks for listening to the Pimp Crown Warhammer podcast. I do greatly appreciate it. 
And uh, once again, facebook.com slash pimpcron or pimpcron at gmail.com. Want that or want that not? Today on Want That or Want That Not, we are discussing one of the models that I absolutely love to hate. And that is the Orc Defcopta. Now, I'm not discussing the Orc Defcopta from the Assault on Black Reach, which is a far superior Defcopta, even if it is only Monopose. But this old Defcopta, I cannot believe they have not redone this model. If you actually look on the Games Workshop website, and you go under Orcs, and you go under Fast Attack, or whatever, and you look up the Defcopta, it is the stupidest looking model Ever. And believe it or not, it is still a metal model. I did not actually know that there were any metal models sold by GW. I did not have any idea that this was still a thing. But it is still a thing. I thought they had all been converted to uh, Finecast. But it says right in the descri- description, this box set contains one metal orc Defcopta. Now, this thing is, if you don't know what it looks like, it is an orc sitting on a extremely small platform. I mean, it's it's almost to the point where the two rotors, it's got two rotors instead of one. Um, the two rotors are almost going to decapitate him. If he stood up in his seat or even sat up in any aspect, he would just be decapitated by these rotors. So number one, that is dumb. Number two, he's shooting a pistol. I don't even... One hand, he's got the stick, like he's controlling the Def Copta, and the other hand, he's holding the pistol. And I am not hating on this because this is a very old model. There's plenty of old models that still hold up to this day. But this is atrocious. And this also has something to do with... I am baffled by the fact that GW has never remade the Def Copta except for the Assault on Black Reach models because this is such an awful awful model it's goofy it's not aerodynamic it's not stylized he's not protected in any way it's a stupid looking model and it's made of metal i just can't i can't even i'm not usually one to keep that phrase you know use that phrase but i cannot even when it comes to this thing and this thing is $33. You realize that you can go on eBay, and generally speaking, you can get the really cool plastic Defcoptas for uh, 10 15 bucks each. Sometimes you might find them $20. bucks. i am just spitballing here. but uh, And they are far superior to this. Now, ironically, this one... This one only has the Big Shooter variant, and the... Plastic one only has the rocket launcher variant. So that's kind of funny that they went opposite ways with that. But um, it still baffles me that all of the new models that GW has remade in the time that this stinking thing has come out, just off the top of my head, you've got the, um, you've got the flash gets have been completely redone. You've got Gazskull. You've got the Stompa. You have the Morkonaut and the Gorkonaut. You have all of the Orc jets. You have the Dragsters. You have all of the Big Mech guns, like the Bubble Chucka and all that. You have the uh, Big Mech Shop. You have the Mega Knobs have been redone. You have so many things. The Storm Boys have been redone. 
you have so many things. Even the grots have been redone since this thing has been out. And this thing has never been redone. I can't imagine what would possess them. Like, maybe they had, like, a billion of these in stock somewhere, you know, like, like in a warehouse. And they're just desperately trying to sell these things. But I, I just... It really boggles the mind how this is still here. And this, so far, is the only metal model I can find on the website. There may be another one lurking somewhere, but this thing is... It's goofy, and it's not even goofy in a cool or orc way of being goofy. It's just flat-out goofy and ugly. So, this is definitely a want-that-not for me. This is one of my least favorite models. It is terrible and old in the worst possible ways, and it's 33 freaking dollars for a metal Defcopta. Especially when you could get two or three of the newer plastic better ones on eBay for the same price. It is 100% a want that not for me. Now it's time for Real Talk with Pentcron. In this edition of Real Talk with the Pimpcron, I want to discuss the pros and cons of the new 9th edition rule that the players in a matched play game get 10 more points at the end of the game if they have a battle-ready painted army. I have heard great gnashing of the teeth uh, on the side of supporting it and on the side of disagreeing with it. So let's start with some of the negative aspects of exactly why they should not put this in the new edition as a new official rule to 40k. First off, the first thing that comes to mind is that new players will immediately be at a disadvantage because obviously you're starting a new army or you're just getting into the game period and you don't have all your army painted versus somebody that does then you're going to have to explain to them, hey, I'm supposed to get 10 more points than you at the end of the game because you're not fully painted. Now, the caveat to all this is that clearly this rule can be just mitigated and completely ignored. So it's not a mandatory thing, but what are the benefits, pros and cons of having it as an official rule in the game? So first off, it kind of puts um, feel-badsies on new players because they don't even have a chance to paint their stuff yet. And it also is hurting people that don't like painting because, you know, this is a hobby and this is a game that has a hobby attached to it, but you may not like painting. It's, it doesn't mean, a lot of people say that people that don't have painted armies, they have 10,000 points of unpainted stuff. Okay, that's kind of a faux pas in our community but it's not really necessary for playing the game. Sure, everybody wants painted models, but it doesn't mean that you have to like painting and have to paint your stuff in order to play the game. Now, there is some people that claim that this is an anti-meta-chasing, um, win-at-all-cost-players sort of rule that they're putting in here. And in my personal experience, whether your models are painted or they are not painted, has nothing to do with whether or not you're a whack player at all. Because, in in fact, my personal experience is that it's the exact opposite. That a lot of people that just kind of enjoy the hobby, and they buy the models, they assemble them, and they just kind of want to play, they're, they're not all into it. Not everybody is going to be as 
deep into this game as everybody else is. And not everyone's interested in the hobby aspect of it. I've got plenty of people that are excellent players that I know personally, excellent players, and they just don't paint their models. Like, it's, I don't know, there's a little bit of, like, gatekeeping, I feel. Like, uh, there's a little bit of gatekeeping here where you have to paint your models, and yes, models look better when they're painted, sure. But it doesn't mean that you are this straw man that I have not personally met that everyone talks about, that they chase the meta, they buy all the new hotness, you know, when knights are on top of the meta, then they buy all knights, don't paint them, and then when something else becomes the new meta, then they, they sell the knights, and they buy all new whatever, and it's gray plastic, and they play that while it's, you know, the, the top-notch stuff, and then Iron Hands are the new, okay, then I'm gonna sell all that and buy Iron Hands. I'm positive those people exist. I'm not saying they don't exist, but I have never personally met any of those people that uh, that I knew were that way. And like I said, the people that I know that don't have painted models are usually just kind of into the game. They might even be into the lore. They're just not into painting. And that is not, and I feel like it should not be a requirement to play this game, is that you have to paint your models. So first off, I'd like to debunk that I don't think that people that don't paint models are just whack players. I don't think that's true 100% of the time. So, another issue with requiring people to have painted models is, and this is completely from my personal experience, but whack players that are going to chase the meta are also the type of people that typically get really hyper-competitive about tournaments. And what do 9 out of 10 tournaments require? They require a painted army, fully painted. So many of these guys and ladies that are chasing the meta and they want the best army or whatever, they have no qualms with painting a whole army, you know, on the fly and hurry up and paint it so you can use it to be in these tournaments while it's good and, and hot and then selling it or get rid of it immediately. Matter of fact, a lot of these people pay commission painters to paint their armies anyway. So, I don't really see, you can say that, oh, if you don't paint, then you're a whack player. Well, then again, if you're a whack player, you probably do tournaments, and if you do tournaments, you require painted models, therefore you probably have painted models if you're a whack player. So, it's kind of like this snake eating its own tail sort of thing, where I'm certain people on both sides of that aisle exist, but I feel like that is not indicative of what type of player you are, just whether or not your models are painted. So I, I feel, you know, another thing, like I said about the gatekeeping, is that people that like the hobby are just different from people that don't like painting. It doesn't make them right or wrong. There's no, there should be no requirement to paint your models. And trust me, don't get me wrong, I love painted models just like everybody else does. It is a very rare occasion that I myself will field unpainted models because, as I've said before in the podcast, it helps motivate me to paint because a painting is not like my favorite thing in the world. And it motivates me to paint so that I will paint stuff in order to play with it on the table and then I get excited about playing it in that game. And those two things for me feed into each other. 
if I get excited about painting a model, then I will it will reignite my interest in that army as well, and I'll start looking through the codex again. And remember, I have like I don't even know how many thirteen forty k armies or something. So I I go through my cycles. I've been well over a year, almost two years since I played my Imperial Guard, and not hating on them, I just haven't gotten through them in the queue of armies. So uh, so that at least for me. That is my baseline. I, I like painted models. I like to see painted models. And I rarely field unpainted models. Th- having said that, I own and run Shorehammer, which you probably know if you're listening to this podcast, is a convention, a casual and fluff convention in the Mid-Atlantic region in December or late November, depending on the year. And I don't actually have painting requirements for my tournaments. And the reason why is because, once again, I personally don't feel like whether or not your models are painted or not have any bearing on what type of player you are. So, therefore, I don't require it. Now, we do treat it as a um, a tiebreaker. So, if you are in you know the same ranking as somebody else, and then we go by most completed painted armies. So, if you have half of your army painted, and he has all of it painted, then he's going to get the tiebreaker. Now, if you're both fully painted, then it then we start getting into, okay, who's put more effort into it? But it's never, it, that tiebreaker never ever becomes who's the better painter, because personally, I find that kind of irrelevant to a strategy game. There's tons of people that paint Reaper models and, and all kinds of stuff and have no game to play them with. And maybe those people or the Golden Demon people that are really into the competitions, uh, like our buddy Tony, um, he's really into the painting competitions. So even though he does play the game as well, the hobby for him is so much stronger. That doesn't make him any better or worse of a player. That doesn't make him any better or worse of a participant in our community. Actually, our community is really three different communities put into one. You've got the players that love to play the game, which is what I fully fall into. I'm definitely a, a game player. Then you've got the hobbyists that like kit bashing or painting or just assembling or whatever. Then you've got the lore people that loved all the stories and the novels and all that stuff. And those are really three different communities. So it would having a a rule like this where somebody actually gets benefits in game for having painted models, I kind of call bullshit on because that would be like, okay, in 10th edition 40k, let's add a questionnaire, okay? Let's have a table of let's say uh 666 so that we can roll 3d6. Uh 666 different uh, trivia questions about the backstory and the lore, and you get 10 extra points at the end of the game if your army is fully painted, and you get 10 more extra points if you, you know, can recite all the Primarchs, or something like that. You see how that's not that's not really the same thing. We're talking about a game. We're not talking about the lore. It's irrelevant if you know anything about the lore. You're here to play a game. It. We're not talking about the hobby. It's irrelevant if you like the hobby or not because you're here to play a game. And even though I am in the boat of enjoying painted models, I really understand that a lot of people are not like that. They don't share those same values. 
And I feel like nowadays it's so easy for everyone to be divided on literally every topic. It's so easy to immediately hate on the people that don't agree with them. It's so easy to be divisive. And honestly, one of the things that I always kind of liked about our community is that it's very inclusive. Hey, you like reading the novels. I like painting the models. Hey, he likes playing the game. Hey, we can all enjoy a tertiary kind of interest and it doesn't have to be the same exact interest. I feel like that's really one of the main uh, strengths of this hobby compared to let's say video games, right? I like playing video games. So so do I. Yeah, me too. Alright. We all like the same thing. That's great. Uh, I'm happy. Everybody likes playing video games. But there's not different facets of most video games. I mean, sure... The Elder Scrolls and some other things have a lot of lore behind them, but it's really all about playing the game, where this is a much more well-rounded thing, I think. there you got the creatives, you got the imagination people, and you got the strategists. And I definitely do feel like they're kind of misstepping in doing this. Also, 10 victory points is a shit ton of points to give to someone just because their painting is is finished on their models like 10 points most of my games are like 15 to 12 or whatever only when i like horribly beat the crap out of somebody will i get you know 20 to 10 or 30 to 10 or something like that and 10 points is a huge swing so i am willing to bet that I mean, I don't even see tournaments doing this with the whole 10-point thing, because 10 points is ridiculous. I could see if they did, like, two points, right? If you gave two points for the person that has a fully painted army, then really nobody could really, really complain about that, because it's it's like a little nudge, but it's not like this huge game-breaking thing. And, like I said, the spread of most of our games locally is usually not more than 15, definitely not more than 20 in 99% of the cases. So now it just essentially becomes, hey, I don't care what you scored, right? I could be I could be having 5 victory points because I suck and you've got 15 victory points and guess what? My models are more painted because I like that one third of the community more than you do. Guess what? We just tied. Even though you had three times the number of points than me but yeah i guess it just matters whoever painted their fucking models more yeah i guess that matters like you're you're confusing two different things that's almost like that's another stupid example i could give is you can't finish this book this novel this black library novel that you're reading yeah you can't finish it until you've at least won five games of warhammer on the tabletop like when when you do that you send in for it and we'll mail you the last chapter of the book like, it just, it is not the same thing. Now, on the flip side, now I've already made my point clear. On the flip side, you could argue that this could have some good ramifications because some people have a problem with tournaments making it so that you have to paint your models. And this is kind of legitimizing it in the eyes of the players. And GW is supporting the tournament scene in that way once again tournament players uh, tournament organizers can you know nullify whatever rules they want and i certainly do with my tournaments and no i'm not going to be given 10 points to whoever paints their freaking models i think it's stupid anyway 
the good news is, is that GW with these new terrain rules and with their new painting rules, it does seem like they're trying to support the tournament scene and say, hey, we agree with what they're doing and you are fully sanctioned in what you're doing. And it does make it feel a little less like the Wild Wild West with um, the actual manufacturer supporting the the rules that tournament players have already made up in most cases, you know, like line of sight blocking or whatever. So that is one good thing. Another good thing is they're also showing to the players, there are many players that don't paint their models and they are trying to kind of force the subject and they're trying to make people start painting armies. And like I said, I have a problem with this, but I don't necessarily see that it's a terrible thing. Once again, it's a completely ignorable rule if you don't like it. And but they're still making a statement and they're still putting their values out there as a game or as a company. They're saying, hey, these are our values. We're expecting you to assemble. We're expecting you to paint and we're expecting you to play. And this is how we intend its use. Kind of like when you buy any product, let's say you're a cyclist and you buy a bicycle. The bicycle is going to have a label on it saying, hey, don't drive this into a volcano or something like that, where they're telling you this is how it's supposed to be. <laughs> this bicycle is for external use only. <laughs> Do not ingest this bicycle. You get the point. Uh, they all have warning labels. They all have declarations of intention. And I really don't feel like what GW has done is such a horrible, terrible thing. I don't agree with it personally, but I do feel like they have every right to decide what they want their players to do. And they're trying to instill the same values across the entire variety of players that they have. So whether or not you ignore these rules, you at least now can say, Hey, painting your models is actually part of the game and you need to start doing it, which will, I mean, somewhat spur some portion of the populace to actually start painting their models, which is not a bad thing. Matter of fact, you know, you can learn to like it and it is a nice stress relieving activity and it is very creative and you're building a skill. I mean, painting is not like a huge skill that's super marketable, but you are building a skill and everybody gets better with it over time. Like I know I'm a much better painter than I used to be. Um, just James is a much better painter than he used to be. I know uh, Beastman. I mean, pretty much everyone I know who paints gets better and better and better. So that is not a terrible thing, I don't think. In conclusion, I understand what GW is trying to do, and I'm glad that they're putting their values out there for everybody. But this is actually potentially going to divide the community even more because now they are forcing column A people to at least participate in column B where they may not be interested in it. And I don't really like that precedent, but as long as it's a mutable law, then it's it's kind of no harm, no foul. I don't foresee nearly any casual games whatsoever using this rule. And matter of fact, like I said, 10 points is a huge number of victory points to be handing out just because someone likes the hobby over someone else. So I don't even see tournaments doing the 10 point rule. Maybe a couple points or like my tournament is a tiebreaker or whatever. But man, I don't know. I, 
I have very mixed feelings on this. I don't think it's the end of the world. Some people are freaking out. You get people jumping out of buildings and stuff over having painting requirements. But, you know, one thing I didn't even touch on is that not everybody has the free time to be painting all of their models. And I know I'm the first one to say you do have time, you just have different priorities. It's not that I hate when people say, oh, I don't have time. No, you do have time if you allocated time for it, but then it becomes a value issue. Are you, is this valuable to you? Do you value having painted models? And the answer sometimes for some people is going to be no. They don't value having painted models, and that's totally fine. This is supposed to be a hobby that you make your own. You create your own paint scheme for your chapters. You create your own characters. You do whatever you want, and it's it's just supposed to be customizable. Compared to a lot of other games, you're supposed to put a little bit of you in your army and and things like that. So I feel like this should not be a case where everybody can start judging other people because they don't paint their models. And I'm hoping that this doesn't divide the community because as of yet, I feel like our three bands of community members have been pretty well coexisting. And, um, you know, if, if someone says, oh, I don't, I don't play, but I like to paint, the player will go, oh, cool. Or the Black Library person will be like, oh, I just like to read the books. And people are like, oh, neat. I mean, it's it's been pretty calm. So I'm sure this is not the end of the world. This is not some huge hullabaloo like everyone's assuming it is. But I don't really like this declaration. And I don't really think it's anything that needed to be done. And I don't think it's necessarily healthy for the hobby. But GW has every right to, to say what they want. So... I guess I am done rambling at you and having my vagina monologue uh, about 9th edition and the painted rules. So if you don't paint your models, listen, you're not a monster, okay? I, I think everyone should just put down the torches and the pitchforks and um, just know that we're all monsters. That's all I have to say. And I would like to thank all of my Patreon sponsors for supporting the show. I love you all, and I will see you next week.